Greetings and welcome back to Latinos Who Thrive. I'm Victor Escalante, your host, and today we're wrapping up our three-part series on the imposter syndrome. Our special guest, Ana Sanchez, will share her personal experience with this challenge and how she overcame it. If you're new to our show, be sure to check out the previous two episodes. We're thrilled to report that our listener downloads have reached a tipping point, and we're grateful for your continued support. So a big thank you from Texas. In addition to Latinos Who Thrive, I host two other shows that you may be interested in. Comunidad features interviews with consulate generals from Latin America with offices in Houston and nonprofit organizations, while the other show is a live stream on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube that focuses on the challenges of growing a business. You can find the links to these shows in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's welcome our special guest, Ana Sanchez. Welcome to Latinos Who Thrive, Ana. Thank you, Victor. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So, Ana, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you originally from? I am from El Salvador, and so I was born there in San Salvador, and my mom brought me over when I was a few months, and we came to Houston, and it's it's a different story because we flew, and in that time, there was different laws, so we could do that. Okay, so practically, you are a Native American because you were raised in the States, and you didn't have the culturation in El Salvador. So what was it like for you to grow up in a primarily Spanish-speaking home going to an English-only school? Well, funny thing, my parents used to go to college, and they went for GED night classes. And so I actually learned English before I learned Spanish. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm sure that that helped you. You don't have an accent. In your experience, do people stereotype Latinos with an accent, a strong accent? I think they typically expect one. Actually, my place of employment, they they're they don't actually make a big deal. They're they're a little bit more inclusive. I think that some other places that I've worked whenever I was younger, they were like you're Hispanic, but you don't have an accent. And they would actually point that out. And I'm like, okay, and, but you know, I, I felt like, yeah, that expectation was there. You're very fair skin. And I think you come from Lebanese descendants. So Latinos come in all flavors, in all shades of brown. <laughs> there is the uh, term that's been used of the browning of America because of the Latino influence in America. So let me ask you this. You had issues with suffering from the imposter syndrome. Talk to us just in general terms, what that was like for you. Well, I mean, I guess it was different because I would just, every level that I, that I went up in the ranks, it just felt different because you get a, a new set of people that are at, you know, like we'll call it the table. They have tons of years of experience. They have a lot of background. Of course, they have their studies. Not to say that I don't, I do, but they've already established themselves. And as we know, you can be really book smart, but you also have to have some of the street smart, right? And so some of that experience comes with it. Yes. So you're the kind of person that if you don't know something, you can go out and get a master's degree to understand it. I'm being a little facetious. (laughs) 
<laughs> but there's a lot of truth to that. Talk to us about that mindset, Anna. I mean, I do my research. I do my due diligence. The getting the degrees, I think it was because whenever I was little, you know, my mom was always my hype person. And so she always said that I could do anything. And so I think I put it upon myself that, well, besides the fact that she told me, you know, we have to be somebody, not just anybody in this life. And so I did take that quite literally. And I did say I was going to be somebody in this life. So despite challenges and, you know, life happening, I aim for some goals and I reached them every single time. I know that I am kind of an overachiever, so. At what age did you decide that you were going to be something or somebody or both? I can't quite remember what age that was. I remember that it must have been pretty young because I've pretty much always been that way. I've always had goals. And typically when I say I'm going to do something, I always follow through. And then just basically like no matter what it takes, I was going to get it. Tell us about your education. What degrees do you currently have? I currently hold a double master's, a master of business, and a master of healthcare administration. Okay. What was important to you about getting these degrees? What was your trajectory that you were aiming for? Well, to begin with, it, it changed a lot, a lot of times, um, mostly because of the circumstances and situations. So originally what I wanted to be was a doctor, if that was a medical doctor. Once my parents split up and I didn't want it to be a financial burden, so I decided not to shoot for medical school. I decided to do community college and to get a job and to pay for my studies and also help my mom out with kind of like the shift that was going on. And then I got pregnant. Right before I got my associates, literally like a month before I delivered my daughter, but I was so determined that I was going to finish my associates and I was going to have a degree, you know, before I had my kids that I had somebody drive me to my finals. And so I finished my associate and I think every level that I obtained, I just put in my mind, if I can get an associates, I can get a bachelor's. And then I got a bachelor's, even though I had two kids. And then once I got a, my bachelor's, I was like, well, if you can do that, then you can get a master's. And once I started looking at the programs, you know, I was like, well, why not a double master's? <laughs> so it just, it got higher and higher, but yeah. 2020 hindsight, did you know what you were getting yourself into? Not at all. Because as you know, we go through a lot of stress. I was working, I had a family, you know, and I had to study. And it wasn't just light studying or light reading like I prefer it. It was getting down into the research, doing a lot of papers. At some point, I was like, man, I could already have a PhD because I wrote out a 10-page paper <laughs> just for one assignment. And if you put all my papers together for that double master's, literally, we could have a whole thesis. <laughs> yes. Talk about what you know from personal experience with other Latinas, are they encouraged generally by their parents to go to, uh, to get an education and a college degree? Are Latinas encouraged to go to college? 
Not typically, you know, even as kids, Hispanic parents in general tend to like not bring their kids to the table. Yes. So I do feel like that is a hindrance or, you know, quiet down your voice. Don't be so loud because, you know, you're not, you, you shouldn't be that loud. And I guess in a way it translates as you're not worthy to be that loud. But typically they want you to have a family. They want you to have kids, you know, stuff like that. And which is not to say that it's not important. It's definitely important. But for me, it was like, I knew that I had to have financial stability in order to have something like that, because I had seen, you know, families, different types of families, people who were never prepared for their families. And I felt like I just didn't want to be one of those. But, you know, things happen and we just go with those challenges and you still thrive. I mean... So from your perspective, the imposter syndrome is the phenomena that you feel that you're not good enough, you don't belong there, that maybe you're not the right skin, your last name is not Jones, you don't come from the right side of the tracks, all kinds of different uh, reasons or excuses that people make up in their mind as to why they feel like they're an imposter. And people are going to find out, and then you're going to be ruined. So in a Latino household, in general, from your experience, what are the elements that contribute to the imposter syndrome? It's kind of like what I said, you know, you're not technically invited to the adult table to have a conversation. And if you do have a conversation with an adult, it's usually like on a one-on-one. It's not like you're with everybody. But I think that's what was different in my family because we always talked, we gathered. It wasn't like kids are not welcome to the table. We were all welcome to the table. I mean, you could choose not to be at the table because, you know, as kids, you want to go and play. You don't actually want to be there. Yeah. In my experience growing up, kids were not allowed to eat together with adults. Kids had to eat separately. Now, that was just a family cultural thing. Because my parents were really old school from Jalisco. And so that's the way that they were raised. So at family gatherings, the kids did not eat with the adults. And so that was what you're referring to as not being invited to the table. You're not important to be able to be heard, even though kids are very smart and they have viewpoints. Uh, You have two children. What are their ages? Uh, My daughter is 15. She's about to be 16 in April, and my son is 14. And have you noticed how they have a mind of their own already? And how they have very intelligent (laughs) thoughts and they have uh, viewpoints that are already pretty grounded in who they are. One, I know your children, one is a right brainer, one is a left brainer. But the point again that I want to really make here is that your children are breaking that cycle, your generations, your past generations, to where they are they are viewed as little adults as soon as they have a mind of their own, and they're treated as little adults, and they're encouraged to succeed on their own terms, not necessarily of you driving them to be what you want them to be, 
but to discover their own innate talents, their own innate uniqueness. So talk about that. So, you know, the thing where you can say, you can say something. And if you say that, even though two different people that you're raising, they take it two different ways because they, like you said, they have their own perspectives. They have their own thoughts. So you can say something and one hears one thing and the other one hears the other thing. And I think that that actually grew me out of the person because I was like, how did you get to that? You know, like, seriously, that's, that's not what I said, but let's, let's talk about it. You know, um, I think a lot of the things and which is different because my parents, it's not that they wouldn't explain things is they would hit you first and then they would explain why that had to happen. Right. And so with me, you know, I think it was more like, I wouldn't necessarily hit them, but I would raise my voice and then I would be like, okay, I need to get together. I'm going to explain why I'm afraid or why I'm so angry to towards the situation and what kind of caused it so they can understand this is what I'm going through so they can understand me and where I'm coming from too. And so when I would have those conversations, it was a lot easier for me to get through to them than me flipping my lid and like if I was going to hit them or whatever, right? Which I'm not saying that I didn't. I did a few times when it was required, but it's just different. I think that's what's different, that I literally had that communication with them. And then one of the things that not only do I do it with my kids, I do it with everybody I was like I want to hear your thoughts though so you heard me now I want to hear you right like what is your opinion what's going through your mind you know are we on strike yet (laughs) and that's what a leader does so you've taken the high road with your kids of setting the right example and being vulnerable with them to admit that you're open to their ideas and maybe you don't have all the answers and you'd like to be able to to have that relationship to where there are no communication barriers to where you're an open parent and they can come to you with anything and you're going to talk things out again lead them to come to their own conclusions obviously at their age there are times that you have the final say so because you're the parent we go through right. that with our seven and 11 year old that we're the parent we get we have to raise you properly and this is the final word so let's talk about the latino household and what they need to do people that are listening to your interview they may or may not identify with the proper dynamic of a family environment that is going to minimize the imposter syndrome. So you've taken a lot of self-help courses. You're very well read in a lot of books. You've taken a lot of different uh, trainings to better yourself. At the root of that, what is driving you, Anna? Talk to us about that. And then we'll get into the the dynamics of the household. So, and I think, you know, things come at their own time because maybe had somebody told me 
hey, maybe you do need to go talk to somebody or something. When I was younger, I would have been like, whatever. So there's things that had to happen in my life. And I was married and I got a divorce. And I realized, well, what I thought I realized that I had lost a lot about myself. But really, all of me was there. I just had to choose like the right parts of me and the right characteristics that I wanted that I had before I got married. And so part of my journey was to find myself, but, it, but in reality, it was basically rediscovering myself. And so I started off doing like self-help things and, you know, doing uh, stuff for pr my profession because I knew that I didn't want to um, just be a secretary or an executive assistant forever, or I, I knew I was made for more. Let's put it that way. So I know I always knew that. So I started doing things so that I could better myself. But what I ended up realizing is that everything from your personal affects your professional. And I guess people don't realize the interrelation, right? Because how you do things when you're not at work is technically how you do things when you're at work, whether you realize it or not. Okay. So that that kind of helped me once I started looking at that. And then, of course, and I believe you said that, said this several times that when your student is ready, the teacher shows up. And I didn't know <laughs> that whenever I joined NHPO, I was going to meet my teacher. So. So there are times for growth. There are times that that the universe sends you the right people or the circumstances aligned to where you know you get that prompt inside yourself that it's time to pursue down a path or or to to reach out and and learn from a teacher that has important lessons for you. So let's get back to my initial question. What do you think are the necessary dynamics in a functional home, whatever that is, because I've never seen one, and especially with Latinos? that fosters a healthy self-esteem to where when you grow up as an adult and you go into whatever field you choose, you don't suffer from a bad condition of imposter syndrome. In your experience, I want to hear your perspective. I mean, bringing them to the table, that's, I think that's the, that's a the big scariest one. part. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, when you're small, and you see that people are gathered at this table that you're not invited to. It's a little intimidating when you try to go up to the table, even to ask for something, right? Because my parents would attend a lot of other parties with Hispanics and as their friends. And I know that sometimes because they had that kind of separation, I know that I would be like, I need to talk to you, <laughs> you know, but I'd be whispering and I'd be like, oh my God, like, I don't want to do something wrong. You know, so I think that's that's a big thing. Like you should definitely integrate your family members to the table. Besides the fact that like if they do have something to say, hear them out. Because you know how they say sometimes those things that are small to us are really big things to our kids. And yes. if they can't confide those small things in you, how are they gonna confide the big things? Yes. Let's talk about something that you bring up that's very important. Children need to be children. What I want to get your perspective about 
letting them have their innocence without necessarily exposing them prematurely to topics that that are going to take away their innocence or their their magical thinking and expose them to undue stress that is going to expose them to to situations to where they may begin to feel anxiety they may begin to develop a skewed sense of the world because they see conflict in the home or they see you set the the wrong example i'm just talking in general terms not not saying that you set the wrong example but look at families where there is alcoholism where there is uh, drug use in the home where there is total complete horrible example to set for children and how that's going to affect their mindset to grow up with a lot of insecurities a an inordinate need to try to please others because they felt unloved or they felt like the silent child that had to really focus on pleasing the adults or maybe even parenting the adults that led to their innocence taken away. That's what I'm referring to. That led to them not being playful, not being happy-go-lucky because play is a very important aspect of growing up because it develops a lot of the brain functions that children need in order to, again, to have the competencies that they need uh, to have a successful life and career. You are listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Ana Sanchez. We'll be right back. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Do you need help navigating the complexities of today's rapidly changing marketplace? Look no further than Escalante Training and Consulting. Led by industry expert Victor Escalante, our team offers customized training and consulting services to help your business thrive. From strategic planning to marketing and sales, we've got you covered. With over 20 years of experience in the field, Victor and his team have helped countless businesses achieve success and maximize their potential. And with our affordable rates and flexible scheduling, we make it easy for you to get the support you need when you need it. Don't let the challenges of today's business world hold you back. Contact Escalante Training and Consulting today and take the first step towards achieving your goals. Call us at 713-992-8279 or visit our website at www.victorescalante.com to learn more. Escalante Training and Consulting, your partner in success. We now return you to Latinos Who Thrive with our special guest, Ana Sanchez. So let's pivot to some of your, your saboteurs that you shared with me from a test that you took on positive emotions. So let me pull that up here. And I want you to talk to me about this because at the heart of it, this is in a big way what causes the imposter syndrome. When you combine your inner judge that is judging you, is judging others, and it's judging situations. So your biggest one at the top of the list is stickler. Talk to us about how being a stickler made you, there's a positive side to it, there's a negative side. Talk to us about both. Being a stickler as one of your saboteurs, 
How did that affect you? Well, I think I've always been analytical, which is a double-edged sword because um, it's great for work. Totally great because you want to know every single thing about it. You want to know the pros, the cons. And of course, then you want to hit the decision dead on so that that way you don't get double work. But being a stickler in real life is a lot harder because you're dealing with so many personalities. You're dealing with so many people um, and they don't often do things the way you do. You know, like if I tell my kids go wash the dishes at first, it was hard to watch (laughs) because they would not clean the dishes right. And I would at first I would go back and I would wash them myself. And then one day I was like, well, how did you learn? (laughs) You know, and then I had to remember like, my mom didn't step in for me. She was like, we'll watch it again. (laughs) Yes. You know, and so then I was like, I can't hinder them that way. Um, So I had to let them find their way, even though it didn't look like my way. You know, maybe they didn't sort the dishes in the same pattern I did. Maybe they didn't use hot water. Maybe it was lukewarm, whatever, you know, or maybe they didn't, when they finished cleaning the dishes, they didn't put them spatially correct (laughs) so that they could all fit. So those were a lot of things that I had to manage and I had to find flexibility. And that's just like one example. But, you know, there was a time that I used to paint a lot and I literally threw some paintings away because they weren't perfect. Um, And I had to learn just flexibility all in itself. So, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, even though I do have a high stickler, I have to remind myself that I have to have some flexibility. And I guess if you call it, we could call it compassion too, Um, because it's never going to be super perfect, but it's going to be on a perfect. (laughs) Yes. And the whole issue about being raised by a stickler parent is you're never good enough because you don't do things perfectly, just like the parent is expecting. And so that begins to corrode your self-esteem. Let's go to the hyperachiever, which is another one of your, your inner saboteurs. How has that affected you? I don't think it's affected me. I actually like that. I think it's one of my strengths, okay. to be honest. Um, It's one of my strengths because even though, you know, sometimes I set really high goals, I still achieve them. So I do feel to some degree accomplished. I know that once I finish it, then I'm like, on to the next one, (laughs) you know, but, but that just means like, I have that ability. I have that ability to say, I'm going to do something and fulfill it. You know, maybe it doesn't look like a straight line. Maybe it looks like a whole wiggly looking thing. And then I curved back, came back around and went over it. But I made it to my goal. And for listeners that are listening to us, the the problem with a hyperachiever is that you are never satisfied when you combine it with a stickler. And so it's finding a middle ground to where You can still be a top achiever, but you don't drive yourself to the ground or you don't burn out because you learn to establish certain parameters of what's okay and healthy for you. 
as opposed to just constantly being on a treadmill that you never enjoy the successes that you have or the plateaus that you are able to achieve. I know that one of the things that you like to do is to travel, to take a break and to be able to enjoy that success that maybe you've been able to achieve. With your kids, how are you raising them to where there's a healthy sense of accomplishment without being a a slave driver? Well, I think my son naturally has that like me. Um, He, but he's always been that way, like since he was like a baby. You know, he was never the the type that he would want me to feed him when he was able, when he was already of age to feed himself. He would take the food or he would argue with me for me to give him the food so he could feed himself. Yes. So I kind of feel like that kind of defined all, all the time. He's always been super independent. He's always been um, just the go-getter. So um, you were talking about the, your daughter. And how she's different? She's different because she's um, she's always been like super creative. So like okay. we established Alessandro's logical. She's super creative. So she's always flowy. Okay. Um, and what I mean by that is she goes with the flow. So her timing is not close to ours. Hers is more relaxed, you know. When I get to it and when she really feels like she has to do something, she's going to knock it out. Okay. But if she feels like she has time, she's going to wait for it. She'd you be know? born in the 60s. She'd be a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, literally. All right. So another one of your saboteurs is being a controller. So talk to us about how that's good, how that's gotten you into trouble. Well, as you know, with everything else that I have. Uh, you have to feel like a high sense of control. And there are some things that you can control and there's some things you can't control. So for the most part, I had to come to terms with a few things. <laughs> um, I think when I was younger, I was more impatient because I wanted to control everything, you know, to make everything perfect so that it was like the optimal product. So I would control what I read, what I studied, so I'd have a good outcome. I would um, practice harder so I could be the best one at soccer. I would, you know, so all of those things were things that I could control. The problem would come being a controller when you can't control something. So that's what was hard. Um, And by that, I mean like situations, like when life happens to you and you couldn't control the the circumstances. Sure. But what I learned later in life um, was that even though I can't control that, I can control myself. Correct. And that's even more important. Yeah. Just like I have a poster in my office that says we cannot control the wind, but we can adjust our sails. Yes. So it's learning to work with the elements in your environment. All right, let's talk about your favorite one or one of your favorite ones is hyper-rational. How has that gotten you into trouble? Not to say that I'm not a dreamer. I can dream, but then I come down to reality and then I'm like, okay, but in order to get that, 
there's this, this, and this, and this. And so it's funny because I would always do a SWOT without thinking, right? So I do a SWOT analysis and I'd be like, well, here are the pros, here are the cons. And how am I going to get that? You know, I don't have the money. I don't have blah, blah, blah. So then I'd have to figure out every single level. But I think sometimes being hyper-rational, you overthink it. So it makes you pause way too much that if I didn't have that, I would go straight for it every time. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be so hesitant sometimes. Um, And then sometimes if I feel like I have everything that I need, well, then I totally go for it. I mean, that's no brainer, but. Okay. You lead two different teams in your corporate job. Yes. Talk to us in general terms, what you observe when someone is suffering from the imposter syndrome. Again, just in general terms, what you observe, maybe not even necessarily with the teams you are currently leading, but you've led other teams in in other organizations. In general, what have you observed when someone is suffering from the imposter syndrome? I tend to see that they're not the ones that are going to speak up. Um, They're the ones that you kind of know they have something to say, but they don't say it. Me as their team lead, I tend to recognize that. And so I ask them, what do you think? And sometimes, you know, it's hard because there's a medium between you can't call people out. But like I tell them, the reason that I ask you specifically by your name is because I want to hear you. I want to know how you feel, you know, what you're thinking, all of that. I think it's it's also recognizable because you know who the overachievers are. You know who is going to get the work done. And literally, you know who you can go to and say, hey, I need this favor and I need this done within an hour. And they're going to have it in 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Which are my going to be? <laughs> because I run at that speed, you know? And so I know I can distinguish that mostly because I know how to recognize myself in others. But then because I know how to recognize myself and others, I also know how to empower them. I know how to bring out their best and how to motivate them and inspire them to be better so that they don't feel that way. So what do you do? Give us some of your secret sauce for bringing out the best employees. You want my secret sauce? No, I'm just kidding. Stop secret. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, I mean, you want to hear what they have to say, you know, they're the ones who probably know how to do it better than you. They probably have another solution that you haven't thought of because they've already also assessed all the pros, the cons, you know, and they're just like, oh my God, I can't believe you're going to make us do this (laughs) when there's so much of an easier way to do it. And so I learned to recognize kind of like their body language and specifically when I see like, they're like, uh, and I'm like, guys, you know, like I'm here. I want to hear your, your suggestions. I want to hear your voice. You know, how would you do it? What can I do to make this all easier for you? Even though there's constraints, you know, what are like, what are those things? And typically I find like, you know, as in a group, nobody really wants to say anything, but your one-on-ones are your most productive ones. Your one-on-ones is where they're going to be like, Hey, you remember that day when you asked us about this? 
um, yeah, well, I kind of had an idea. And I'm like, why didn't you speak up in the group? Well, I just didn't want like everybody to kind of, you know, think, you know, my idea wasn't like all that. And I'm like, nobody would have thought that because we're creating safe environments for, for us to be able to do that. But I think that was with my newer teams because once my, like this other team that I had and it was highly productive, man, they would be like, you know what I found? I found this and this and this. And I was like, and I was like, okay, so how would you fix it? Or how would you, you know, bridge that gap? Well, I would do this and that. Okay, well, let's try it out. Really? Yeah, let's try it out. And I was like, if it doesn't work, we'll pivot again. But let's try it out. Chances are it was like nine out of 10, they worked, you know, and then we kept streamlining. And so I kept developing them. I was like, we're all going to lean class. And they're like, it's for managers. And I said, we're all going to lean class. <laughs> You know, and I got the permissions, I got everything because being a leader to me is horizontal too. You know, I'm not the only leader. I need the rest of my team to be leaders so we can all lead and fix all of the gaps and do all of the things that we have to do daily. And I have to equip them with the best tools that I have and everything that fulfills their need. And also, you know, not only should they show their contributions, but also their growth. Where is it that you're trying to go? You know, it's funny because recently, even though I had um, in my past team, I had promoted somebody to another team because she was just fabulous. And then I moved. So now she's actually going to become my senior because she's like, I've worked with you. I know you. I want to be on your team. And I'm like, that's great. Like, you know, I'm, I'm impressed, but you leave a mark, you know, on people, not, how do you say it? Like when you're able to grow somebody and you're able to take them out of their shell, because she was my quietest, my quietest one mm-hmm. when she first started. Um, and you're able to open them up to see the amazing people that they really are, that they're not afraid to grow and to level up and to do all of the things. But not only that, when you meet them and they are so touched by who you are that they would follow you, that's amazing to me. Yes. So Anna, would you say that it is through your tenacity, that grit that you display that has proven to you that you do belong where you are and that you can scale up even to a greater level? For sure. I think every single time I've I've harnessed kind of like, you know, the things that people have said or whatever and made it fuel to my fire because it's made me push harder. It's made me do my research more. It's made me want to know every single detail in order that whenever I come to the table, ask me a question and you're going to be like, I'm going to go look that up. Yeah, you should go look that up. <laughs> so listeners, let me tell you to what extent Anna went <laughs> in preparation for this interview. She went oh and listened goodness. to several episodes and she took detailed notes of the questions that are typically asked on this podcast. And she prepared all her notes and she was ready to go in preparation for this. There's a long story in how this is coming about. The short story is, is that we had lots of trials and errors 
equipment-wise, because I was experimenting with different equipment and platforms. But in the process, Anna was more than ready to go every time that we did a recording again, because she almost went and got a degree just to be prepared to do this interview. <laughs> so Anna, what advice would you give to the younger Anna that is just starting out in life now that you've made it to where you are and you're far from having reached the the ceiling that you're striving for? What advice would you give the younger Anna? That I have all the skills to pay the bills. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Um, that I have to grow through everything that I go through. Like there's no way around it. You know, just like hard work, you have to just get in there and deal with some things and then you'll come out from that darkness. Um, and sometimes growth is fun and sometimes growth is painful, isn't it? Yes, it is. And there's a lot of, so you remember whenever well, I guess when I was younger, um, they would always say, you know, you can lie to everybody, but you can't lie to yourself. It's so true <laughs> because you know you. Um, and if you lie to you about some things, then that's going to be a big problem. So I think it's just staying true to yourself. Um, my younger self, it would have been start at a younger age to get to know your yourself first like forget everybody else <laughs> right because once I got to know myself then I was able to recognize others and and it was crazy because whenever I was first starting out you know I would ask people what do you need to be successful well you need to be a, you need to get to know people and you need to be a people person and I'm like okay but how do I do that like that sounds cool but like for real <laughs> what do I need we you need to get in there with people what if it's not your forte <laughs> and so then I had to do a lot more research than that but it turns out I also had to get to know myself better so that I can recognize that in others um I would also have to say like to harness your fear you know turn it into your fuel and light that fire because at the end of the day that's what you conquer everything with it's not with what people tell you it's not with what anybody else it's what you believe in and how you take it. And so if you're able to do that and just not sit and think, oh my gosh, like this sucks or whatever. And it's cool if you do it just for a little bit, but you got to get up and you got to get out there again. And so that's where that grit and that persistence and, and resilience comes in. I was thinking, I was like, what is that quote? I know Tony always says it all the time, like Tony Robbins, that, you know, wherever you focus, that's where everything flows. Yes. And so I think because I've always focused as, okay, but I'm not going to let that hold me back. And I'm just going to get even more better that that has helped me even more in everything that I do. Besides the fact that, you know, sometimes you can do things by yourself, but you take more strides when you have some help. And so get yourself a coach. <laughs> okay. And what's next for you education-wise? So, um, and, and it's not because I actually need it, but it's something that I've always wanted to fulfill for myself. So I do plan on getting my PhD. Um, 
because I've always said I was going to be Dr. Ana Sanchez. So. And you will. Do you have a particular field of interest that you want to pursue your PhD in? Well, right now I'm kind of in between two. So I'm trying to decide because right now I'm actually in human resources, but I've always been in business administration, particularly healthcare administration. So I, I do have to pick um, something that I will not only enjoy, but I also don't want it to limit me or lock me just into one thing. So I'm still deciding, but it'll be soon. You got the rest of your life. <laughs> You're just a millennial. <laughs> okay, Diana. <laughs> All right. Any final words, Anna? I think that, you know, we push ourselves too hard. So today, if you find yourself in a hard spot, just know that you find yourself in a hard spot because you're probably trying more than others. And so you really should have some compassion and love yourself to know and pat yourself on the back because you're doing something out of your comfort zone. Because if you didn't feel like it was hard, it's probably because you're not doing anything. <laughs> yes. Uh, ditto. I totally concur with what you just said. Well, friends, that wraps up this episode. Uh, we want to thank you, Anna, for sharing your experience with uh, our listeners. And we'll be looking forward to your continued trajectory in business. And you got to come back and tell us your story after you get your PhD. <laughs> thank you. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to help others. And we'll be able to call you Dr. Anna.